that was a wonderful time of fellowship and food. And like they said, now it's time to try to stay awake, right, through the, the third session of today. I would like you to think about what are you learning today about God? Things that you've maybe never thought about before, about who God is and, and who he is to you, especially personally, as we've come through two sessions of thinking about me, how I was designed, divinely designed and created for a purpose, and then new life coming, a new identity in Christ, um, taking those experiences from the past, growing up as a child, going into adolescence, relating to my parents, learning about God from, from our parents, I believe we do. I believe we learn about God from our, our fathers, but also our mothers, uh, from our uncles and aunts, from our grandparents is certainly the case as well. So we're part of a physical family. And, and one of the beautiful parts of being part of family is that they can never put you out. Right? I mean, they can try, but at the end of the day, they're still your family. And, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about being a child is that you know even even when you're bad, even when you're annoying and obnoxious, they're, they're not going to put you out in the cold all night long, right? They're going to have to put up with you. They're family. Thinking about um, our new identity and, and being part of a new family. And that's where we want to kind of shift gears here this afternoon. And now I'm not thinking so much about me and personally, let's start thinking about the people beside us, you. We're going into the second person here. Um, if it's singular, then it's, it's you. And if it's plural, it's you. In Spanish, we say, sorry, in Canadian, we say yous. And here in the South, I hear y'all. So plural is y'all, right? It's, it's, it's this group. And I'm not sure what happened, but anyway, it gave me, gave me two points at once. <clears throat> the first point I would like us to consider this afternoon is if we are part of the family of God and we're born, we've experienced a new birth, the people around us are our brothers and our sisters. And in the space underneath the line there where you fill in the blanks, you can also write, or my mother or my father. I would encourage each one of you young people to look for in your church or in your community, find a spiritual father other than your own father. Find a spiritual mother, if you will, um, girls, apart from your own mom. There are going to be some things in life sometimes you need somebody to talk to about that maybe you can't talk to your own mom. You're going to need counsel from men other than just your dad. And so start developing that relationship. And, and I pray that there are these people in your congregation and, and you're just going to feel sort of a connection in your spirit toward that person. 
And, and I believe God does all things well. I believe with all my heart he puts us into a community because those people have had experiences. They can speak into our lives in ways that, that you'll never imagine. As you get to know somebody on a deeper level and they, they start opening up to you and you start opening up to them with your problems, you will discover that they have had experiences that you never knew about because they haven't told anybody about these experiences. But it's, it's going to help you and, and they're going to be able to uh, help you find your way. You are part of the family, this new family in Christ. I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46. We just we have this little snapshot into the life of Jesus. And we were talking about that earlier today, how Jesus came to earth. He was born of a virgin. We sing about it at Christmas time. And we have all these Christmas carols, and they're really great. We just kind of, you know, um, hail the virgin birth and keep going. But we, we don't really think about how incredibly awesome that is, that God became a man and dwelt among us. He was born of a virgin and brought up by a carpenter named Joseph and lived on this earth, the same earth that we live on. Um, he lived there for 30 years. And then we have this little picture, and I just love this passage in Matthew 12, verse 46, so Jesus is teaching, and while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. So he was teaching, and his mom and his brothers and sisters came, and then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who's my mother? Isn't that kind of weird? Jesus is like, Who's my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whoso, whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. So I'd invite you to stand, and we're going to read that last verse all together, because that's a key verse here. Here we go. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. One more time. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Thank you. You may be seated. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard this before, but everyone you meet is one of two people. They're either part of the family and therefore your brother or sister. Or they're part of the group that's not part of the family yet, and you should be reaching them with the love of Jesus. And if you let that settle in, and you really think about that, that includes the clerk at the grocery store. That includes the waiter 
or waitress at the restaurant. She's either a sister in Christ or someone you should be reaching out to with the love of Christ. That includes the guy that cut you off in traffic. Isn't that crazy? I have in my life met so many people who are part of the family. And you don't know it when you meet them because you never met them before. And they don't wear a shirt that says, hi, I'm a Christian. But in the first three or five minutes you're talking with them, you're just sort of like, okay. <laughs> okay, there is a common connection here. And it, it thrills me because you meet these people who are part of the family. They're your brothers. They're your sisters. I would just read to you one more time the words that we sang this morning in um, song number eight. Verse three says, Lord, how can we praise thee enough for thy love in sending the Savior from heaven above when by faith each poor sinner becomes God's own heir together as equals salvation we share. Together we seek thee, we turn to thy face, great God of salvation, great giver of grace. Thou hast sought us and saved us and shown us the right we faithfully follow as children of light. So we're part of the family of light. And in our relationships, in our interactions, in the community, in the church, we're dealing with sisters and brothers. And I, I get a little bit worked up, I guess, when young people can't have a normal, casual conversation with, with their leaders or with the older people in church. Because you need them and they need you. We need each other. And in the space underneath that point, you could write what I originally had here. I had written, I need you in order to succeed. And, and that's true for me. I need you. I need a community in order to succeed. We need each other. It seems a little bit arrogant for me to say you need me because I live far away and you really don't. But you need people, you need people in your life that are going to give you direction, that are going to bring meaning to life, that are going to help you along the way. I'm going to just do this. You're going to see the screen flash a whole bunch of times because I'm going to go way back for a picture. Just watch. Here it goes. Right there. That's the one. If there's one thing I wish I could redo on the last talk that I gave you, it's to tell you the story of Jose. And I'm just going to go back there for a second to make a point. I'm going to tell you about this guy here, Jose. I don't know if somebody back there wants to turn off the lights so you can see it a little better because it's not a huge um, deal. But Jose came to our family uh, when he was 10, and he was a street boy. His mom was a bar lady, and his dad was anyone's guest. He, his mom died when he was about two or three, and she left him with the old lady she worked for at the bar. Are you, are you kind of getting the picture how this thing's working? 
So then he, he kind of was her boy, and she died when he was about five, and then he was on the streets, fending for himself. Got himself into a lot of trouble. There was a rich lady in his town. This big town was about five hours away from where we lived. This rich lady would, would give him food and buy him shoes and buy him clothes and try to get him to live with her family because she wanted to protect him. And that worked as long as um, she did everything he wanted. But when she would, you know, put rules in place or whatever, he'd just take off and leave. And then the next time he really needed somebody, uh, he'd kind of go back there and, and cozy up. It's a long story how he came to our home, but he, he did come and he lived with us from the time he was almost 11 until just after his 15th birthday. And about the time he was, he was 14, probably about a month before he turned 15, I sat him down and I said, okay, Jose, I just, I need you to understand some things because we've always told you that we we punish you out of love. And you've, you've probably noticed we're just not punishing you nearly as much as we used to. And it's because you're grown up. You're 14. But I just want you to understand that it's not that we don't love you as much as we used to. And it's not that we don't care what you're doing and, and the decisions you're making. We're not happy with. They really hurt us. But I need you to understand something very clearly, Jose. And that is that every day, the way I see it, you are less responsible to me as your father and more responsible to God, your father in heaven. And I said, I just want you to be careful because God punishes too. And he said, huh, I'd much rather have God's punishment than yours. And I thought to myself, you poor boy, you have no idea what you just said. About a month later, he ran away. Um, it was a Sunday afternoon, and I had found a large amount of cash. And we, we knew about how much money all the boys had, and it was way more than he should have had. And so we found it kind of by mistake. Is it by mistake? When raising boys like Jose, I, I say you're kind of doing parenting joint with the Holy Spirit. And any parent here today that has raised a child into a teenager understands that you're actually parenting with the Holy Spirit the whole time. But um, this was kind of an eye-opener for me, just how much you need God's intervention. Anyway, we came across this big stack of cash, and um, I said, Jose... Don't look for your money. I have it. I will gladly give it back to you or to whoever it belongs to, but you're going to have to explain it. He never explained it. He, uh, he let himself down from the top porch and he was gone. We had company over and when they left, he wasn't around. We went up into his room. There's things we could tell he had packed a bag and he was gone. <clears throat> Make a long story short, we didn't really know where he was for two years. We didn't know if he was dead or alive. And I spoke about how, you know, you would find yourself driving along the road hours away from home and you just kind of look along the road. Is he here? Am I going to see him today? And then 
two, hour, two years later, the circus came to town, and they, they were known to do that. Once a year, they would come to town, and this time they set up in the big field down from our house, about three blocks from our house, and as I was um, driving home on my motorbike, I heard, heard somebody whistle, and then I thought I heard my name. And so I slowed down, I, I actually turned around and I came back because I was, I was sure somebody had called my name. I turned around there where they were setting up the uh, Ferris wheel, there was Jose. He was with the circus. And I went over to him and I gave him a hug and I said, are you coming for supper? He said, you don't want me for supper. I said, well, of course we do. Our doors are always open to you. Come for supper. He said, you really mean that? Like, I can come for supper. I said, of course. So he came for supper, and he always enjoyed Brenda's cooking, and that night was no exception. He lifted up his shirt. Remember, this is the boy that told us that I don't need your discipline. He lifted up his shirt, and he showed us where he had been stabbed in the back. He, with tears in his eyes, he told the other boys, he said, don't ever leave. It was the worst decision I ever made in my life. I don't know what I was thinking. He told us how he had been with a friend. And I don't know what they had been doing, but the other people, I don't know if it was law enforcement or other another gang or, or what, I'm not sure who caught up with them. They shot his friend. They held the gun to his head and pulled the trigger and it went click. And so they re-cocked the gun and pulled the trigger again and it went click. That's when he ran for his life. The reason I tell you that story is because we are part of a family. When he left, that was very, very hard for my wife and I to just work through. I remember going into his room and it, I've never lost a child through death. But it's probably some of the same feelings and emotions. You go into his room and his things are there. You remember only 24 hours before, 48 hours, he was sitting at the table, and now he's gone. I remember over the next couple of days, we were working through this, and I thought I was pretty well okay. And then I had to go down to the shop for something, and I found his dirt bike all torn apart, left just where he had left it. That, that dirt bike was a big part of his life. And he used to take it apart and paint stuff and put it back together. Like, he'd fix it even when it was, wasn't broken. And I remember just the overwhelming emotion that came over me when I, when I saw how he had left his bike. It was all in pieces. And I thought, who is ever going to put that thing back together? But he was gone. I didn't know where he was. The real point of this story was that God sent us one of our church members in the next few days after he left. Her name is Olga. And she came and she said, you know, I've been watching you and you have taken his leaving really, really hard. And we said, well, yeah, it's, it's so hard. We, like, should we be trying to find him? Should we be going after him? She said, no, you just have to leave him to God. And those were words we needed to hear. But she wasn't done yet. She said, remember four years ago when he came into your home? 
I mean, here's a street child, street kid, coming into a Christian home, better yet, a Mennonite Christian home. I mean, we can all see God's hand in that, right? He said, but now God is taking him out of your home. And she said, we have to see God's hand in this too. He's in God's hands. She said, you know how at our school we only have grades 1 to 6? We only do primary grades, 1 to 6. And when the, when the students are ready for grade 7, they have to go to another school. I'm like, yeah. She said, that's how it works with God, too. She said, you guys just do primary here in your home. But Jose's ready for the next level. And God knows that. And you don't do high school here. So God's taking him to the next level. I believe God sent her to just bring peace to our hearts and help us to accept what we couldn't change. And I believe God does that over and over and over in our lives. He sends people with a message for us. You see, I believe that when we read the Bible, we hear God's words. I met up with a friend a couple years ago, and we went to school together. We were part of the same Mennonite group of Mennonite churches, Midwest Fellowship, if you've ever heard of that. He went to one church, I went to another, but we were raised the same and, and all of that. After high school, um, I was in Guatemala, and I kind of lost track of my friend Tim. Tim got caught up in this whole charismatic movement, and, and the people of his church were all into the thing of hearing God's voice, like hearing an audible voice, and that was a big deal. And I met with him about five years ago, and he had come full circle. I will never forget what he said. He said, Stephen, I'm so done with this trying to hear an audible voice from God. He's like, God's words are right here. If you want to hear an audible voice, then just read it out loud. And you know, that's so true. It's right here. Don't go looking and waiting for that audible voice. Just read out loud if you want to hear the audible voice because he's speaking. I believe God speaks through us. God speaks to us through the brotherhood. God speaks to us through that older man or lady at church. And it's, it's not confined to gender, okay? Young men, there may be a sister, an older sister in church that tells you something you need to hear. Listen to it. And girls, there might be an older man or, or another man that challenges you in an area in your life. Listen to it. It's not so much them talking as it's God. I've already preached sermons where people come up to me afterwards and they're like, you were preaching right at me. You must know all about my problem. I'm like, I don't know about your problem, but I, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> right? Somebody was talking. Somebody was talking and it wasn't me because I didn't know. I had no idea. We need each other. We really need each other. And I... I think sometimes we don't realize how much we need each other. And, and the young need the old, and the old need the young, and we, we all need each other. I, I realize I'm talking to a group of young people here today, and, and all I can encourage you to do is just, just be open to someone in your church. I believe the 
the devil has attacked God's people with lies for 6,000 years. And the rascal isn't creative. He uses the same lies. He's been using the same lies for 6,000 years. And the problem is they work. They work so well. But here's one that I think we need to, to realize as young people. The devil will often say, don't you dare let anybody know you're struggling with that. You don't tell anybody. I mean, what will they think? If you're honest about that, what will they think? If we follow that, it's true. There's part of us that doesn't want to admit how far we've gone, how deep we're in, whatever it is that you're struggling with. But if we keep it to ourselves, the devil will beat us every time. If you share it with one person you trust, you, that other person, and Jesus, you will, you will win. You will absolutely win. That is vital to finding, finding deliverance from whatever you're, you're facing, whatever you're struggling with. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's an anxiety. But share it with somebody. Share it with someone you trust. That will go so far in helping you to find the tools that you need. They are right around you. And young people, there are people that are going to soon start coming to you and saying, can you help me with this? They're going to be reaching out. And I would say take those opportunities. You'll probably say, but I don't know what I'm doing. It's okay. They trust you. And if you don't know the answer, like any good teacher knows, you don't have to know the answer. But you can say with 100% certainty, you know what, I don't know the answer, but I know it's in here. We can find it. If you and I work together, I know we can find it. You can also say, wait a minute, I'm I'm not sure. I'm in over my head here, but I'll get back to you. I promise I'll get back to you and make sure you get back to them. When I was 18, I started a new job in Canada. Our family kind of moved back and forth from Guatemala a few different times. And when, when I was 18, we moved back to Guatemala Sorry, we moved from Guatemala back to Canada. And I remember my dad telling us two boys, my older brother James and and myself, he said, okay, so we moved back so that your sister could go to nurses training. That's going to take a lot of money because she's going to college. So I'm going to need your help. Um, You guys get jobs, and I, I don't really care where you work as long as it's not where I work. And that maybe seems odd and strange, but I can explain it to you. We lived as a family, very tight family unit, in this little jungle town, not a lot of other interactions. And my dad had the foresight and wisdom to realize that he had taught us a lot, and we had spent a lot of time with him, and now it was time for us to learn from other people. I got a new job um, making grandfather clocks, of all things, in a woodworking shop not far from my home. And in the first week, I met this young man, Paul. And Paul smoked. Every break, he'd be outside smoking. He was about my age, 18 or whatever. And in the first three weeks, he came up to me and he said, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am. And I was, you know, 
pretty shaky on my feet as a Christian when I was 18. I had been baptized, but I was still dealing with stuff. I mean, you know a little bit of my story. He said, you're a Christian. And I said, yes, I am. He said, well, I'm not. I'm an atheist. I don't believe there is a God. And um, unless maybe I'm God. Maybe I'm God. I'm not sure. That would be the only God that exists. I remember putting my arm on his shoulder and walking him out to the overhead door. couple months later, we, we would take our lunch together. We would talk. He asked me so many questions. I asked him so many questions. We were just trying to figure out life, right? A couple months later, he came to me and he said, Stephen, I want to become a Christian. I said, well, Paul, that's wonderful. Do you know what? Um, when I get home, I'll talk to my dad and like, maybe you can come over tonight and, you know, my dad can pray with you and uh, you can become a Christian. He said, Stephen, I don't want your dad to pray with me. I want you to pray with me. My point here is that we've got to grow up. There are people coming behind us that need us. They're going to reach out to us. I felt so ill-prepared. I had never led anybody to the Lord before in my life. I had no idea what I was doing. And so I said, okay, Paul, you're going to have to give me a bit of time. I remember lying in my bed that night and hardly being able to go to sleep because, well, you can imagine what thought was on my mind. What if Paul dies tonight? What if Paul dies tonight? So I prayed a very personal prayer, and I said, God, just keep Paul alive till the morning. <laughs> and he did. He did. Yeah, my encouragement is just be open. Be open to people. When people reach out to you, if you're not ready, that's, that's okay. It's part of growing up, but you're going to have to get ready. Here we go. You are not perfect. I'm not either. And we will let each other down sometimes. You can write that in however you want, but just understand, and, and I think this is key, because... Part of our Mennonite culture in Ontario, I'm sure it's different here in, in Virginia. Actually, there's, I love the food. I love the weather. I think I'm going to move here. Um, you've probably got this one figured out as well, and that is that you don't expect other people to be perfect. But part of our Mennonite heritage in Ontario is sort of built around that. Like, come on. It, I mean, we, we know we're not perfect, but we're sure going to try to come across like we are. No, we're not perfect. There are times I will let you down. Okay, so brace yourself for it. I will let you down. There are times that you're going to let me down. And we're not perfect. And so please realize that, young people, in your leaders, in your pastor's wife, understand she is not perfect. Neither are their children. They will let you down. 
Here's a verse for you. I think it's Psalm 118, verse 8, but I won't know for sure until I get there. Does anybody know what it says? Apparently, this is the middle verse of the Bible. I don't know if that's true or not either, but that's what they're told. I've never taken the time, can you believe this, to count to see if that's the middle verse. I haven't. But according to Uncle Google and other people that think they know, Psalm 118, verse 8 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. We fail each other all the time. We are not perfect. And finally, I will forgive you because I will need you to forgive me. And I have also been forgiven. I have been forgiven so much, of course. I can forgive you. But that's not how it works. That's not how we act. And that is not how we think in our churches. So often we're like, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she did that. I mean, that's just uncalled for. Of all things. Hey, I've done worse. And I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven so much. And we're called to forgive each other. The person that taught me a lot about love and a lot about forgiveness was my grandma Gingrich. And I've, I've heard just a few little stories about the Gingrichs here this weekend. Some of you know and others are about to find out that David Gingrich is my uncle. My father is Mark and Mark is just older than David and the stories of those two are legendary. The way Apparently it went, like some people know Dave to be a real um, active, um, exciting, crazy maybe person. And somebody asked me last night, is it true that your dad was actually kind of the instigator? Like is he kind of the one that taught Dave everything? Like is that true? I would say yeah, it, it probably is. I think the way the legend goes is that my dad would come up with the ideas, Dave would help him to do it, and then their older brother Paul would tell on them and get them into trouble. <laughs> and that's how it often works in, with the birth order. But um, these two guys grew up, and the lady that raised them was my grandma Gingrich, and she was a person that taught me love. She would accept you no matter who you were, and she would accept you no matter how you were acting. Of course, you had to listen, you had to obey. There were consequences for that. If you didn't, but, but she loved you, and you knew she loved you. But she proved it to me when I was about 9 or 10 years old. Or maybe 11. I, I don't remember exactly. But we lived in Ontario for part of my life. I already told you that. My grandpas lived in Hartville, Ohio. And we would go there on weekends. And sometimes uh, there was a long weekend, and so we could travel down after work. My dad's work on Friday, after school on Friday. We'd, we'd get to Hartville, and we would have a wonderful weekend with my grandparents because my cousins would come, and my dad's family was all over um, places in the U.S. Some of his sisters lived in Canada. A brother lived here in Virginia. Dave, uh, West Virginia was Uncle Paul. Indiana was Uncle uh, Samuel. And these families would, would converge in Hartville, Ohio, and we would have this big old family reunion, and it was wonderful. 
when I was about 10 or 11, we had gone there, and, and I think it was a thing where the Canadians had a holiday and the Americans didn't, so we got there a day early, and we had grandpas all to ourselves. But we were looking forward to our cousins coming where we could, you know, be together. And some of us would sleep in the playhouse, and some would sleep in the old camper, and the, uh, the couples, uh, our parents kind of got bedrooms in the house. Looking at that house now, it was not a very big place. I don't know how my grandma did it, but... Um, we were there, and it was one big happy family. My grandpa's kitchen was very small, so small, in fact, that the table was shoved up into the corner, and there was a bench on the one wall and another bench on the other wall. And it, it was a fun place to sit because you could all pack in there with your uncles and, and cousins, and, you know, we'd all get around that table. Well, if you were in the back corner... The only way out was to climb over people, or I remember walking behind people on the bench to get out, to go down the six steps to the laneway out the front to work, or you could go under the table, and being a Gingrich, that was also a viable option. A bit of Gingrich etiquette, and this comes straight from my Uncle Dave, um, you know, as far as reaching across the table for something, you know that that's okay, uh, according to Uncle Dave, as long as you keep one foot on the floor. It's, it's not a reach as long as you have one foot still on the floor. Well, this day, um, my grand, we were waiting for the cousins to come from Virginia and West Virginia, and my grandma had made her sauerkraut and sausage in a big roast pan. And it was sitting on the corner of the table, and the cord went across the bench and plugged into the wall. My grandma made the most amazing mashed potatoes, and they were they were almost ready to serve. We were expecting them any time. I was sitting on the bench coloring a picture when the shout went out, the cousins have arrived. The cousins have, have arrived. And everybody rushed out to meet them. I was the last one out. And I went scooching across the bench to go tearing down the steps out to the laneway where I was going to meet my cousins. But I forgot the cord. And as I went out, that whole roaster landed on the floor, and there was sausage and sauerkraut. Like, not all over the floor, but it was on the floor. And the roaster went clang and bang. I had a propensity as a boy for getting into trouble. I got into so much trouble, like more than all of my siblings combined. And I, I remember just feeling sick and thinking, oh, I'm in so much trouble. I didn't know what to do. I wanted to cry. I went down the six steps, and there were my cousins. Everybody was happy. The first person I came to was my grandma, and I tugged on her sweater, and I said, Grandma, I have a problem. And she just turned around, and we walked back into the house. I said, I knocked the roaster off the table. There's sauerkraut and sausage everywhere. She said, well, let's see. It can't be that bad. And we went up the steps, and she saw the mess. She went over to the counter. She grabbed a spatula. She said, here you go. I, she got one, too. She said, help me clean this thing up. Whatever, what they don't know won't hurt them. <laughs> it all went back in the roaster. And the roaster went back on the table. And we had a delicious lunch. Do you know what's amazing? about that story, I mean, truly amazing. My 
grandma never told a soul. My parents never knew that story. And I haven't told it very often because I'm not the hero in that story. Rather, I'm the villain. But I told that story at my grandma's funeral. My grandma took that story with her to the grave. You have to know my grandma. But she would have said, people don't need to know that. Are we willing to extend that kind of grace and love to the people that sit beside us in church? The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. And I I think there are many explanations to that verse. But here's one that I would submit to you this afternoon. It's talking about faults. Those things that bug us. If we truly love that person, like my grandma loved me, I mean, she had every right to tell my mom. She had every right in the corner of the kitchen to just share that little story with my aunts. But it would have ruined it all, wouldn't it? I don't think my aunts would have enjoyed their lunch quite as much. And I think sometimes we ruin the party because we're too quick to point out the faults of our brothers and sisters. I would invite you to stand and say this with me. You're welcome to do the motions too if you care to. I am love. I am called. We need each other. He has overcome. We are more than conquerors through Christ. While you are standing, I thought I had a song here for you, but its I must have it in the wrong order. We'll just back up and sing the first verse of I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joined hands with Jesus as we travel this path, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. You will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family, and these folks are. family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood, joined hands with Jesus as we
be seated. For a five-minute challenge today, what I would like to challenge you with is the question, what have you learned about God today? I would just invite you to use that space under the five-minute challenge on your paper and write down there one or two things, you can do more if you like, one or two things that you have learned about God today about who God is, who he is in relation to who you are, how many people got one thing, at least one thing, you've been able to write something down, how many people have two things, anybody have three things, all right, so what I'm going to invite you to do is get into a group of five people. Um, don't be afraid to cross the aisle, but I'm not forcing it either. You don't have to. Um, get into a group with five people and share at least one thing that you've learned about God today. And then just kind of stay in those groups because I'm going to invite different groups to just come forward, pick one spokesperson, and you can pick one of those things from your group. So the person that came up with it isn't necessarily sharing it, right? Um, so there are going to be five people up here, and obviously one of them had that thought, but it's not necessarily the person that's saying it. So nobody can trace it back to you, really, except the people in your group. We're just going to practice community a little bit, practice family, um, brothers and sisters, sharing what, what you learned about God today. And I, I think that's really important uh, for us in our lives. So go ahead, just get into groups. I'm not going to make groups. You find five people, get in a circle, stand up, move around, use the aisles, use the space at the back, use the space up here. And in about five minutes, we're going to hear from some of these groups. So off you go. Have fun. Participating, uh, for sharing with your group, um, that takes courage and it, it's good. I'm sure in your groups, you were able to hear things, too, that you hadn't thought of just exactly that way. I find it so interesting uh, in preaching, hearing what people heard after uh, you speak. Often, I didn't even say that, but that's what they heard. And so I, I believe that's the Holy Spirit working in the lives of people and, and giving them what they really need to hear. So um, God bless you as you did that this afternoon as well for your little groups.